2: Play your cards to rest Tell youth to stay in school Research and manifest boy Slay from the your-
0: All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. We are going to spend most of the hour speaking with Henry Don Williams, who was charged with first-degree murder and a gun enhancement in the year of 2008 for the murder of then Fairfield City Councilman Matthew Garcia. Henry decided to take his case to trial in Solano County Superior Court and two years later was found guilty and convicted and sentenced in 2010. Uh, Henry has currently served 15 years on a 50 to life indeterminate prison sentence and has made quite a transformation over that time. Here we go. Don, you are on. Please go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your story.
4: Okay. Uh, my name is Henry Don Williams. Uh, I'm originally from Fairfield, California, uh, born in Galeo. Uh I'm a writer, artist, and poet for Mouthpiece Publishing. Which my brother and I had created. Uh, I'm currently, I currently uh, have served 15 years in a 50 to life sentence for uh, murder 187 and uh, gun enhancement 120225 2.5D. Uh, my brother and I created a, a viable, you know, literary pra- platform uh, for young men and women, you know, that are held hostage behind enemy lines like myself, you know, to tell you know their life stories through writing in order to open up conversation. Amongst decision makers and, you know, implement change. Uh, you know, I have a, uh, I w- I have a poem that is out of one, uh, part one, uh, out of the, a series called The Book of Ism Part One, uh, Original Lyrics and Poems, uh, by Henry Don Williams. And the name of the poem is called Never Give Up. Uh, as long as my heart keeps beating, I will never give up. Deep, long depressions, replays of lessons, everything I question because I will never give up. I may may run out of lined paper, so I'll write down on brown paper bags. I will never give up. Ever since my arrival, I've been facing reprisal, but I will never give up. Segregation and demoralization just adds pressure to my compromised situation. Tempered with mail, Confined to a leaky cell, I'll never give up. Stripped up my dignity, and they want me to come willingly,
3: I will never give up. I searched through the scriptures for relief, but when I grasp for it, it just crumbles in my hand like a dry leaf.
1: I continue my prayer for relief, but I will never give up. So that is a, a poem out of uh, part one. And I'd just like to just... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
4: I just wanted to read the summary of the, of the book. Um, it's uh, the Book of Vision, uh, Part 1, 2, and 3, uh, original lyrics and poems by Don Mount Williams. First edition is a colossal collection of his poetic and lyrical literary work uh, written exclusively by Mount Mal-Peace. In Mount poems, he delivers a prophetic, compelling message that accentuates his intense struggles, diabolical pain, and ambivalent Amalgamation of loyalty, love, and betrayal. His downward spiral of despair triggered Mouthpiece's mental, physical, and spiritual strength to persevere towards freedom and finally resilience. The Book of Ism Original Lyrics Poems by Don Mouthpiece Williams. So, um, I just wanted to, uh, use that as, as an inspiration, you know, and that is kind of like a segue into you know what influenced me you know to become a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, uh, you know as as a as a youth, you know I got into trouble. You know a lot of fighting. You know a lot of anger. You know a lot a lot of just a lot of anger growing up. So I fought a lot. I was always a fighter, and you know I was always battling. I was always challenging people, and you know and you know eventually got me in trouble. You know what I mean? You know I was you know, drinking, I was, you know, indulging the marijuana, you know, I was, you know, I was, nobody was there to kind of, like, punish me, you know, my mom worked worked days, my pops worked nights, you know, I grew up in a middle class, you know, neighborhood, you know, around, you know, all different cultures of people, mostly white people, so it was always like, I always dealt with racism growing up, you know, and it was just like, you know, you know, so I ended up going to juvenile hall for a assault, and that's when I began to read. Uh, and the first book that I read, you know, was, uh, Donald Goins, uh, called Eldorado Red. And, uh, I was intrigued by the way, you know, Donald Goins had basically described everything, and, you know, I started reading a whole series of his stuff. And I kind of got tired of it, you know, in a way. Um, and I began to kind of like, I was hungry for more, you know, for more literature. So I read, uh, you know, Man, Child in the Promised Land, you know, which is very descriptive. Um, then I read, uh, uh, Malcolm X's uh, autobiography you know and I was able to connect with Malcolm X's autobiography due to
3: the fact that he he was incarcerated too and he had consumed a lot of a lot of literature and he kind of changed his way of
4: thinking he was more intellectual he was able to you know uh, you know he was able to you know articulate certain things and, and grab certain things and accentuate his words and you know tell it how how it was you know and he, he really didn't have a filter I mean you know and uh I kind of, you know, started consuming more literature and then as time went on, you know, uh, I had uh, got more into, I got, you know, I got into more trouble, you know. Um, you know, these case that, I, you know, that I'm in here now, um, you, know, I, you know, I was in the county jail for fighting my case, you know, this murder case for two years. And it was just like I needed a, you know, I went pro per, and you know, I was just, it was me against, you know, you know, the system at the time, and you know, it was, you know, reading and writing was kind of like my way of, you know, decompressing, and you know, my my family at the time, you know, he was from, you know, he got tired of the literature that they gave us, you know, we were reading urban novels, um, and uh, uh we were reading urban novels, and I came across a book. Um, called Midnight, you know, by Sister Soldier. And she had such an eloquent way of describing everything and uh, putting her political views and things and the way, way she just, you know, did her literary work. Um, and I began to, you know, work on my, my first novel called, you know, The Scraper. Well, first, before I even started the book, I was talking to my silly, and I was just like, you know, what should I write about, man? You know, we're reading all these urban novels, you know, we just do something... And we came across uh, an idea for a, uh, for a book, and it was uh, called The Scraper. Um, and it's, it was basically, a, uh, you know, my way of, it, it was a love story between, uh, Dorian Jackson and, uh, Deltrice uh Glade. Um, and it was a story of how he had, uh, you know, had dreams of getting a scholarship, and he ended up injuring himself. But Throughout high school, you know there was a woman who was interested in him. He didn't pay no attention to him, and she put a love spell on him, and it, went, it had adverse effects. And everybody that had betrayed them, it was like seeking retribution, and um, and there was really no way to stop it unless it fulfilled its its. This call and your telephone number will be
1: monitored and recorded.
4: Fulfilled its its uh fulfilled its. It's mission, you know, and then um, I started it, but I didn't finish it, um, you know, because I was focusing on the things, on my trial and everything, like taking notes on my trial, um, and I, I, you know, after my sentencing and everything like that, uh, and I went on with the high desert, we were on lockdown a lot, so I had a typewriter, and I began to just, you know, finish up, finish up the, the last draft of it, and then, you know, when I got somewhere else, I was able to, you know, get it published. And that was basically just, you know, my, my first book. Um, you know, you know, uh, before I... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, the, the political... I, I feel as though the political ramifications of how I, I left, how when I was a teenager in and how I am now, was, you know, the neglect that I faced, you know.
0: Can we... Don, do you mind if I interrupt for just one second here? How long were you in Juvenile Hall? You were there from 13 to what age? What was that period before you actually then went into an adult prison?
4: Well, from the age of 13, you know, when I got out, uh, you know, I went back to school. I kind of missed a lot of school, you know, because I went back to Juvenile Hall for other situations. And you
3: know where I was at. I mean, crack cocaine was like, you know, well, epidemic then in the nineties in Fairfield. I mean, there was crack everywhere,
4: you know. Right. And uh, I started, I started selling, I
0: started selling dope. Okay, and, so uh, hold on, you so because there, there's there's a point in there that I want people to recognize. You're in youth, you're in juvenile, you are detained, you are kept away from school. So there's an interruption right there to your life because it's not as if they. Like, okay, you're going to lose your freedom because of some infraction, some transgression. But there's no there's no filling the gap of your schooling. But you said that you read some books, so that's something that you did on your own. You, you either there's, saw... There's some, there's some, what's going
5: on? That, yeah. Just some...
4: Yeah, there's some I, I did do on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was a love that I had that, you know, that never left you know, because, you know, after I, you know, left out of whole and I went back, you know, to my neighborhood, you know, um, you know, I started getting in more trouble. I mean, it was just more fights. It was just like, you know, um, you know, I was fighting. It was, I mean, I was, I was you know, selling dope at the time, you know what I mean? I mean, it was a, like a mass migration of, of people moved from Oakland, and because you know the housing market was 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 you know cheap at the time, so a lot of people were migrating from the Bay Area, you know, to Fairfield, you know, and you know, and I and I kind of acquired that you know that hustle mentality, you know, my my mind frame changed, so I was like about just getting money, you know, and then um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I got caught with you know rock rock cocaine, you know, at the time.
0: And how old were you at this time? Uh, I would think I was around about uh sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was probably seven. It was around about seventeen. It was right before I had uh turned eighteen. So I got my case right before I like,
4: like like literally a few days before my birthday. So I was in juvenile hall, and then, um, they I think they wanted to charge me as an they wanted to charge me as an adult. And so I guess you know they and I. I you have sixty seconds remaining. They had, char- they had, uh, you know, released me and then I got rearrested. They released me. I went to court. I got rearrested and charged as an adult. So the courts had basically, you know, sent me to YA. And, uh, I went from, from 17, um, to about like 22. I was in YA, you know, from, uh, from, um, 1996 to, well, no, excuse me, from 1994 to, uh, 1996. And I was kind of like the point of where I really kind of acquired my education. Um, because I had a got a trade, you know, started taking college courses at the time. Um, I was doing a lot of reading, you know. what I mean, it was just like all we had, to, all we had was time and YA, and then we pump weights, and it was, it was, you know, and that's kind of like basically, you know, at that time, uh, I, I got out. Um, I was pretty much ready for
3: like a work, you know, a workforce, you know.
0: All right, Don was able to call back. Uh, uh, for a second time, and then there will be a third time. So uh, here is part two.
1: An inmate at California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility and State Prison at Corcoran in Corcoran, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link.
0: All right. Welcome back, Don. Okay. <laughs> All right.
4: All right. Um so let me just basically uh pick up from where I left off at. So, um at the time that uh, you know, I had uh did my two years in YA, I was basically like a young adult. Um, I had uh you know, acquired my um my uh my diploma. Um, when I went to D Wood Nelson Training Center in uh, Stockton, um, and then I had uh, went to uh, they had a program for like computer repair, um, so I got my certification through that, and that was like uh that was kind of like an, uh you know an accomplishment for me at the time. Um, you know, I went to you know went in front of the board and explained to them you know mistakes I made and whatnot, and that was my chance of you know getting out, you know. And then when I got out, you know, my dad had, uh, you know, picked me up. I stayed with him. And, you know, you know, my dad at the time, you know, my parents had got a divorce at the time. He was living in a house that uh, I grew up in. And, you know, at that time, you know, I, that responsibility came, you know, paying bills, you know. Uh, the first three weeks I got out, I put in my resume. I went to a job fair, Um, got a job. You know, I didn't even know how to drive at the time, you know so I had it, my my boss say let me use his car you know I had to learn how to ride a stick traveling commuting and it was uh, it, it was it was quite an experience you know I I was with the company for a couple of years and then it just you know I got I I, I went through my my stages of working and it was like wanting wanted something different you know um and then so I decided to move back you know move back to my own neighborhood again you know it was like I needed. you know what I'm saying and then um I had uh, you know, got caught back up again, you know. I, well, actually, I, I moved. Well, actually, at the time, I had went to the military in in, in two thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, I had when I left my job, I uh, went to the military. You know, from that, I had um, you know,
0: I got discharged from the military, and then it was just like, you know, I was basically just kind of like trying to get away. Right. And how old um, so were
4: I, you at that time? I, I, at that time, I was about um. At the time, I was about, like, 21, or around or about, like, 23 at the time. Okay. 24. Yeah, I think I was about, like, 24. Okay. Because um, I was at you know, I was about to discharge my, my YA number, and, um, you know, I was about to discharge my YA number, and my plan was to, you know, uh, start over, you know? mm
0: mm-hmm. um, And it sounded like and you then, wanted um, to get back to maybe some familiar people like you were saying that you know your for, community was there some do you feel like i don't know maybe this is a looking back thing but you're describing it as something that you're still looking for uh, a connection yeah that,
4: that's what i think is kind of what it was. i mean uh, i mean as i look back at it i was like man i should have never left that left that job it was like i could have retired from it you know it was, you know i i had uh you know I had investments it was just like i could have moved up But it was just, you know, I wanted to kind of, like, be around people because I was doing, like, computer repair work. I I was a test repair operator. So the the schooling that I had from guys from YA, whatever they seen in my resume, they instantly hired me. And so I was, like, soldering. I think the job that I had, basically, was uh, the company had a contract with Hewlett Packard, and I was doing, uh, working on routers at the time. This is, like, back in 96. Mm -hmm. Like, this is and I was basically repairing routers for networks. I was reading schematics. Uh, I was learning about, like, uh, you know, learning about electronics and everything like that, components and stuff like that. And, um, I wanted to deal with people at the time.
3: I got tired of
4: being in just like a warehouse environment, like a robot. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I put in my letter of resignation and I, and I started working at like a, a computer retail store. And, um, in the area that I was working in. So I worked there for a moment and it was just like, man, you know, um, I kind of want to do something else, you know. And then something happened, you know, with an employee or whatnot. I think, you know, people, I worked in returns, and somebody had brought back a computer and took something out of the computer, and I was, you know, I was, took something out of it, and I, my job was to basically check the computer, you know, for the returns to make sure that the customer could usually, it, whatever the case may be. Well, long story short, they had uh, a released me from the job, and so it was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to where, what I know, and I just got a monotonous, monotonous, uh, you know, job there until I figured everything out, you know. Um, and then, you know, I stayed with my, I was staying with my pops at the time. He was kind of upset, like, you know what I mean. Um, and then I was like, you know what, uh, I'm going to see if I can join the military, you know. And then from at that point, I did with the basic training, Paperwork wasn't right. I get I got discharged, and so I'm you know I'm back again. So it's just like you know what's the next thing I'm going to do. So uh you know I decide to you know you know leave the state. I end up going out to you know Las Vegas, and that was uh kind of like you know when I went went out to Las Vegas. Um, you know I was out there for a moment. I was I was working, you know, um, and then you know situations that happened there, and, you know, I ended up coming back to California, and that's where, you know, I came back to California, and that's where I ended up coming back to, you know, my city again, and, you know, I ended up meeting, you know, the woman that's involved, you know, in in my case, so, um, so, um, that's the situation on that, you know, um, the, uh, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and
1: recorded.
0: So, Don, right sure. now you are you are facing a fifty to life. Now, right. before you had this this sentence. First of all, I um, since there is just historically systemically um, over sentencing of our black people. Um, mm-hmm. A fifty to life. Now. Of course, you had spent some time, not of course, you had spent some time in YA, you know, Juvenile Hall, you know, as a young person. Um, Okay, so there's some fighting and there's some anger management and things like that. Um, Right. Had you murdered somebody at that point by the time you had gotten into whatever this situation that got you to 50 to life?
4: No, no, of course, no, I haven't. Those those charges were, you know, basically, you know, um, just like a soul, you know minor crimes, you know yeah. white collar, you know you know back checks, but nothing, you know nothing involved in anything, you know anything violent until until now. Got it. You
0: know?
4: Right. That's what I'm. I'm that's all you I'm know. trying to. Uh... You know, nothing, nothing until now. You know exactly. So, uh, I mean, I had a, I had a, you know, just minor things all the way up to now. Um, you know, so after moving back, you know, I got. You know, I started, you know, a side hustle with, you know, with a friend of mine that refurbished vehicles. And then we had a mechanic. And so, the mechanic had a, you know, he had a drug problem. And that was kind of like, you know, this place that I was working at, you know, got connected up with people and whatnot, you know, for his, for his, you know, situation. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of like how, from that, that's kind of like what transitioned into my crime now, okay. you know. You know, that's, he was, he was, he was part of that. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like basically what, what brought that here. And, um, you know, you know, going through my trial, you know, going through my trial, you know, my, my oldest son, he was going through a lot of mental illness and, and, dealing with, you know, my situation because, you know, when this crime happened, I was supposed to go to his graduation. And then now, you know, he was reading about, you know, me on the news and whatnot. So he was, uh, he literally, he literally had to leave the state and, you know, and, you know, in order for him to, you know, kind of deal with his mental illness and deal with his dad being locked up, he basically just started writing a book about my situation. So, I he did the research on it, and he wrote about my case and or whatnot to assist him in, in dealing with his, with, his, with his depression that he was dealing with, which is uh, called The Councilman, um, you know, the true crime story of uh, Henry Don Williams, you know, told by his son. What's
0: the you name know? of the so,
4: book? Uh, uh, the name of the book is called The Councilman... Uh, the true crime story uh of henry don williams told by his son so that uh that was that was authored by him uh released by him and um you know he wanted my approval of it i, I told him basically you know uh, i'll allow you to you know make that decision you're grown you know um and also at the time too i, I had to rewind it was like at the age of you know, 13, 14, you know, I, I, you know, I had a kid at the time, you know, I, I, I forgot to the mention that, so oh, at 14, nice. I, I was, yeah, I was a te- I was a teenager, you know, you know, I was, I was a te- teenager that had a kid, you know, so, um, so at 14, you know, I'm also at the same time, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, I gotta provide for the child, and so that was a, that was a major thing. So he's growing up. I'm like literally growing up with him. So, you know, he's, uh, Deontay is, uh, you know, he's 30, 31 now, you know, he's kind of like, a he's into, you know, all different types of sorts of things, but the main thing was, you know, his his issue with mental illness and, and writing a book about my, you know, my, my case was a way for him to be able to, uh, to do that. Um, so. Yeah.
3: Wow. That's, that's,
4: mm-hmm.
0: that's quite something, um, for himself mm-hmm. as well, um to To understand, to, well, somehow make himself available and or realize um, how, right, 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 right. how he can, you know, do some self-heal by writing right. this story. Right. So do you, right. so it sounds like the two of you then have, uh, you clearly have a solid relationship. I wouldn't
4: say solid. Um, well, I mean, at first, he placed a lot of blame on me, you know, um, you know, and he, he was, you know, thought of, he, you know, thought about hurting himself and things like that. And, and you know, he's getting counseling and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, so I try to, I try to talk to him a lot, um, find out what he enjoys doing. And, you know, and he's just, I, I understand, you know. And so, um, but we do talk. I try to talk to him as much as I can, talk about his artwork. Um, he, you know, he does digital creating, he he was really, he was very good at skateboarding at the time, and I was, you know, um, just encouraging him to try to get sponsored and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden I just disappear. you know, I disappeared out of his life, you know what I'm saying, from, you know, getting getting involved with this, so, so, um, you know, but we're, 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 we're pretty solid, you know, um, the uh, that's also, you know, I, I have another, you know, child as well, he's, that was, at the time that um I, I met my my other girlfriend at the time when I had moved back to Fairfield and I got a
1: this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
4: She was pregnant at the time that my crime happened. Hmm. She was pregnant at the time my, my crime happened, and um you know she gave birth. You know at the time I got you know uh, arrested, and so you know uh you know my other son you know. Named Samuel, he's about like 14 now, you know, been locked, you know, he's been, you know, grown up at the time that I've been locked up. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with him like one time, you know, and he kind of told me all of his aspirations and things that he wanted to do. Uh, but just given the situation, it was it was difficult for me to communicate with him because I had to communicate with him to somebody else. And, you know, um, you know uh, that's something that I have to, you know, build with him once, you know, being released
0: you know, build that relationship with them. So, you know, um, yeah, uh... This is part of the, this is part of the, that that damage, that collateral damage that happens, though, with families. You have 60, 60 seconds remaining. I think you're going to have
4: to call Well, me. you know, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a cycle of neglect, you know. Um, and the whole thing was breaking that cycle of neglect. And, um, and it caused a ripple effect with, you know, my seeds growing up. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, um, I was, uh, like, I should, you know, you know, it it should have been different. I should have took different steps. I should have been less selfish and, you know, not worrying about myself all the time. You know what I'm saying? So now that's just the reason why I, uh, you know, I do what I do now and help other people get their books published and get their stories out and, you know, and try to, you know, replace that, replace that that negative energy with positive energy. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, if you are just joining us, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nubay Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I've been in conversation with Don Williams. He is currently incarcerated in Corcoran at the Substance Abuse and Treatment Facility. But I met him at CSP Lancaster when I was invited, Uh, it was such an honor to be invited, to a restorative justice, um, I don't even want to call it an event, but it was a gathering around restorative justice, that Sam Brown of Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability project that he does with his partner Jamelia Land. So hope you've been enjoying uh, listening to my conversation with Don Williams, and I hope you're getting a lot from it, actually. Uh, there's so many nuances to... And that's why it's so important to bring these stories uh, to the airwaves. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to KPOO. This is our opportunity to see the humanity in people who have been just deemed criminals. And I'm going to put that in air quotes as well, because there are plenty of people who are being blamed for um, and being held accountable for um, uh, quote crimes that they haven't even committed, and then overly uh, uh, abused and judged and um, imprisoned in terms of sentencing um, for the the crimes, the the harm that they have done. This really needs to be an indictment on the system. That the, the um, America with Three Ks Inc. is causing far more harm than. Uh, the people that are being disappeared, um, treated uh, treated inhumanely, um, treated, uh, well, as the 13th Amendment says, as slaves of the state. So being stripped of all of their human and civil rights, uh, thereby living what is called a civil death, um, and then coming out and being continually abused by the system. And... Um, and then all of the other ramifications that come with it, so of of having been uh through the the carceral system or in really the legalized slave system, and I just think we have an opportunity to hear from a deeper place within our own humanity um uh, as we listen to the people that we are able to um, I'm able to bring to these airwaves so Again, thank you, and I hope you do take the opportunity to, um, yeah, just to check in to the depth of your own of your own humanity. All right, um, with that, we are going to take that musical break. This is "Ways" by Janae Iko.
3: Substance Abuse Treatment Facility and State
1: Prison at Corcoran in Corcoran, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hi,
0: I'm very glad you called back. (laughs) Hi. Yeah. Okay. No, no, because that's uh, yeah. We it, it always cuts us off earlier than we than we think. So just okay. Let's let's um, consider this a, a a part one, right? And and we will get to it. No, well, no, really, because <laughs> okay. I just I think that the the story it's it's it it's I always have a lot of questions. I really like to be in conversation because I like to you know really kind of unpack, even just you know, these various moments that occur in your storytelling. So, I mean, it's,
4: you know, it's like, you know, I'm looking at like my rap sheet, right? And
0: I'm
4: like, dang, you know, you know, it's like, what was I doing at my point in my life when I, you know, cut this charge, you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, you know, it's like a timeline of, you know, the charges I acquired from, you know, my youth at 1988, you know, to, you know, to 2008, that's crazy. Eighty, nineteen eighty-eight to two thousand and eight. You know what I'm saying? You know. Um. So it's just like you know. It's like, what was I doing at that time? You no, know, what triggered me to, you know, for these these things to occur? What you know, what caused me to? You know what I mean? So. Um. So you know, definitely, you know, um. You know, it was definitely um. It's definitely something I needed. I need to discuss and unpack. You're absolutely right know
0: okay, well I, I I'd love it so let's that's consider it open. I mean, uh, I mean, if we are given <clears throat> you know, um, another day, then let let's let's take advantage of it. oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we definitely one of the lines that stood out in your your poem was the stripped of my dignity, but they want me to come willingly. is so very powerful. and um, you know. Yeah, so I want to be able to let, you know, to talk about, again, these, uh, go deeper into your your poetry, who you are, uh, where you are, and then, you know, at some point we will get to that place where, you know, what we can do out here uh, more for, uh, you know, for you, for others, because, I mean, you represent so many people that are behind... um, I just really because of course in this very moment I'm like, why are you? Why do you have a fifty to life? Why are you? The system has not recognized that you should be out now, <laughs> or or it could have been ten years ago. I don't know, but the system doesn't seem to be uh, designed to be able to recognize. Well, it's not designed to recognize when, in fact, first of all, you are ready to come home, um, or even I, in my view, to even recognize. Uh, that maybe, well, first of all, it's so corrupt, but a 50 to life, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just, uh, and it's not designed, it, it's designed to, it, well, it's designed in a particular way, uh, that doesn't allow really for, um, you know, real growth and development unless you, you do it yourself. So at this point, Don really appreciate where you are and that you're willing to, to share with us. And, um, and we'll get back to it, okay? But right now, okay. this, is, well, this is um, good because we have we have yeah. Go ahead.
4: Okay. Well, I just I just wanted to just uh um you know uh just just thank you. I would like to go ahead and uh you know thank you know thank you, uh, your whole staff, um, you know uh, William Palmer, um, your copy desk uh, chief, uh, Griffin Jones, uh, Sam Brown. Uh, who was uh, it was a pleasure of him uh, introducing me to you? Um, you know, yes, uh, most definitely I, w- I would love to continue. Um, and for the youth, I'm um, in a process. My brother and I had uh, created a. Uh, we're in the process of creating a 12 book series uh, called Learning to uh, Learn to Wrap Your Multiplication Tables. Um, you know, and we use one of the characters out of our first book, um, uh, Gary Genius the Gorilla. Who was uh, basically a, a scientist, uh, and we thought that he would be a good character to uh, to do the you know rapid times tables. Um, uh, we uh, also started a uh, change.org um, site, uh, which has uh, been active for the last two years. We have about like close to three thousand signatures. Uh, we we need more, um, so people can basically go to you know my petition. Um, uh, Henry Don Williams you know read our, our first our, our
3: latest update um, and also uh, they can go if they the go fund me uh, for the uh,
4: children's book series is on there uh, links to our, our previous work um, and I just uh, appreciate your time and your patience of course
0: of course it's a real joy to to speak with you and it was so great meeting you in person that's not. Usually, something that that happens very often, especially on the inside. So, I'm giving a big shout out to Sam Brown as well, and um, what he was able to uh, to create there. I do want to let you know that uh, both William Palmer and Griffin Jones no longer work at the Bayview anymore. Um, although Griffin Jones is very uh, still very close close to us, and she's a dear friend of mine. So. Um, okay. But I'll pass on okay. the. I'll pass on the love anyway for those of us that are still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Don, thank you so much, and we will speak again. Okay. For All right. Sure. We will speak again. You. You have a blessed day. All right. You thank too, you. buddy. Bye. Peace. All right, we are going to end with a short interview that Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! did with Miriam Kaba a couple of years ago, who wrote the book, uh, We Do This Till We Free Us, just as the, um, regarding the George Floyd Act. And I do want to remind you that police have killed more people than ever before. So that's how that's going. All right, here we go with Miriam Makaba on Democracy Now!
6: This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. If you'd like to sign up for our daily digests, go to democracynow.org. This week, the House passed the police reform measure known as the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, sending it to the Senate. Just as former police officer Derek Chauvin is set to go on trial Monday in Minneapolis for his role in the police killing of George Floyd. But outrage over police killings and harassment and the mass incarceration of black and brown people and immigrants has also generated calls to go beyond reform, to defund and abolish the police. This is the focus of our next guest, Mariam Kaba's new book, titled We Do This Till We Free Us, Abolished Organizing and Transforming Justice has just hit number nine on the New York Times bestseller list. Kaba collected essays, interviews, and other writings that she and numerous collaborators wrote between 2014, the year of the uprisings over the police killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, and today. This week, the book made, as I said, the New York Times bestseller list. It's been called a pragmatic playbook. It also comes with a discussion guide. Mariam Kaba is a longtime organizer, abolitionist, educator, and founder of the grassroots organization Project NIA, which works to end the incarceration of children and young young adults. Uh, Mariam, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Congratulations on the book and on hitting the New York Times bestseller list out of the gate. Um, Clearly, you have hit hit a chord. We do this till we free us. Talk about what you're calling for.
5: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Amy, again. Um, Yeah, so I think really... um, The reason why the book has been resonating is because of the uprisings and the struggle in the streets. Um, The fact that so many people around the country recognize the complete and utter. Failures and limits of so called reform to actually do what people want, which is to have some little modicum of justice. Um, so I think people are impatient with incrementalism and are impatient with solutions that don't actually address the root causes of violence. And part of that is the fact that, um, you know, policing is inherently violent and that the starting point has to be to actually reduce people's contact with the police altogether and um if, i always tell people if you care about the violence of policing then you should want as little policing as possible in any form and so the book speaks in part to that with some writings um, that I've made over the years, myself and with others, um, with some talks and speeches, it helps people understand what we mean when we talk about defunding um, policing and what we mean by abolishing the prison industrial complex.
6: Well, why don't you explain what you mean? And also, um, what's really important about your work is the grassroots nature of it. And if you can talk about the grassroots actions that are taking place around the country right now, um, along yeah. the issue of challenging police brutality. Yes.
5: Thank you so much. I, I will say this. Um, I always tell people that when we talk about prison industrial complex abolition, we're talking about a dual project. We're talking at the one hand, a project that is about dismantling um, uh, death making institutions like policing and prisons and surveillance and creating life-affirming ones, um, putting resources and investing in the things we know do keep people safe. Housing, healthcare, uh, schooling, um, all kinds of other things, you know, living wages. You just talked with uh, Reverend Barber earlier. Those types of investments are what really actually keep people safe. So that's what PIC abolition is really about at its core. In terms of the people on the ground, I do wanna point out, you had a conversation earlier with uh, Uh, Congressman Jones about the the George Floyd um, uh, Justice Act. And I think if you talk to people who've been on the streets all, you know, last year, basically half the year and continue to be struggling now in their communities, they would tell you that that bill, which is really just a set of procedural reforms, is woefully, woefully insufficient. And I also keep thinking about the cruel irony of um, naming a bill after uh, police reform, supposedly, bill after someone who was killed by the police, and then to include a whole set of so called procedural reforms that would not have prevented that person's death. So, you know, this particular offering that they're making, supposedly, in Congress wouldn't have kept George Floyd alive. And I think that's just cruel irony. Um, and I you know, I really recommend that people take a look at Derica Purnell's uh, yesterday, um, a great column that she wrote about this very issue. So in terms of the grassroots, organizers since May of 2020, since George Floyd's killing, have actually worked to secure divestment of nearly a billion dollars um, from police departments around the country. And they've secured investments of at least almost $200 million in communities towards the things I mentioned are life-affirming and life-giving institutions. Um, They have done things like over 25 cities canceled contracts with local police departments who are operating in schools, which also has saved an additional almost $40 million to be invested in student, family, and community supports and restorative justice. So people aren't sitting back and doing nothing. There's a, in fact, this past week, A new website just launched called defundpolice.org. And I'd like to really point people who are interested in the idea of defunding the police to go to that website and find a map of all the different places around the country that are organizing still, because the demand is still defund to abolish. So I think that people really should pay attention to that and see that.
6: Well, Mariam Kaba, I want to thank you so much for being with us, longtime organizer and abolitionist. The new book, We Do This Till We Free Us, Abolitionist Organizing and Transforming Justice. In 10 seconds, why you chose that title, Mariam? That's a
5: chant that has been ringing out in the streets ever since 2014 um, in Ferguson and in New York and all around the country. Um, I've seen and heard when I was in the streets with young people at protest, young people in Chicago screaming.
0: All right. And then I want to continue with uh, Miriam Kaba, who is an abolitionist, uh, her Project Nia and what that's about. I want to re-familiarize any of you that don't know about her work um, and uh, kind of get you on board there. So uh, here is me reading the about page of Project Nia. Project Nia, Nia meaning with purpose in Swahili, is a grassroots organization that works to end the arrest, detention, and incarceration of children and young adults by promoting restorative and transformative justice practices. We support youth in trouble with the law as well as those victimized by violence and crime through community-based alternatives to the criminal legal process. We partner with local activists and organizations to create such alternatives. We believe we can transform harm into healing by building connections and opportunities in our communities. Through education, research, and advocacy, we create avenues to address harm productively rather than relying on the police and criminal legal system. For the past 10 years, we have offered over 200 community workshops that juvenile justice and the prison industrial complex, um, oh, um, and published dozens of educational curricula on how to better address harm in our communities because young people should never end up behind bars. And here is one of their educational uh, resources of uh, projects um, Defund the Police.
2: People have a lot of opinions about policing, and our ideas about policing are shaped by our race, our genders, our class, and our parents. For example, most white people have very little interaction with police. In a recent study, 77% of white people had no contact with police in the previous year. Of those who did, at least half were traffic stops, and in many cases, white people initiated contact by calling the police since they have little unwanted contact many white people's opinions about policing are not based on personal experience dominant culture especially mass media sells us the image of officer friendly but whose experience is that actually based on The same study found that black people experience excessive force at the hands of police at more than twice the rate of white people. Did we have a just and equitable police force and something went wrong? No. Policing in the South emerged from the slave patrols in the 17 and 1800s that caught and returned runaway enslaved people. In the West, Police departments were formed to keep native people out of cities built by white settlers. And in the north, the first municipal police departments in the mid-1800s helped quash labor strikes and riots against the rich and policed public spaces to conform to middle-class white morality around gender and sexuality and exclude poor, unhoused, or disabled people. Policing in the U.S. began as a system of economic, social, racial, patriarchal, and ableist control. And that is what it still is today. The truth is police don't do what most people think they do. Police spend more than half of their time responding to non-criminal calls and traffic issues. And only 1-3% to of their time responding to violent crime calls. Police don't stop violence. They respond to violence that has already occurred. And they respond with their own threat of violence. And that response is not equitable. When people of color are involved, police often engage violently. Yet we spend an astronomical amount of money on the police. Over $100 billion a year. Let that sink in. The demand to defund the police is about minimizing the role and power of police in our society. It's about demanding that the government stop writing blank checks for racist control, containment, and punishment. Defunding the police is also about recognizing that police do not solve or address any social issues. They do not prevent harm. What if we took that $100 billion and invested it in our community? What if we had housing, access to healthy food and clean water, health care, healing, cooperative businesses, education, child care, parks, art, and community services? If you already have those things, great. But that's not the reality everywhere. Ask yourself. If we have the resources, why doesn't everyone have this?
0: All right, that is our show for the week. So let me remind you of some of the things that you heard during the show. You can get The Councilman, the true crime story of Henry Don Williams as told by his son through Amazon. Um, and uh, Don Williams is uh, was our guest uh, most of this show. You can check out uh Henry Don Williams's a uh, resentencing petition at change.org by going to change.org at resentence henry don williams you can also write him at henry d williams his cdc number is ae7308 he's in bed 1-11-3 at satf At satf B Facility, P.O. Box 5248, Corcoran, California 93212. And then you can find out more about Miriam Kaba at project-nea.org or pick up her book, We Do This Till We Free Us. And lastly, don't forget to visit the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper's website at www.sfbayview.com. We have a new editor-in-chief, J.R. Valray. And also check out uh, California Prison Focus's Cage Universal on YouTube. I also want to encourage you to check out spiritofmandela.org and see what we are doing since the international jurists found America with 3Ks, Inc. guilty on all five counts of genocide and uh, what we are doing now around the People's Senate. Again, spiritofmandela.org. Get ready for work week with Steve Saltzer.